Welcome to the Cherry Becker Tax Beat, a conversation about tax that matters. Welcome to this edition of Cherry Becker Tax Beat Podcast. Today's episode is an overview of the tax rules and the cannabis industry. Uh, we'll take a big picture look at the industry and specifically discuss the impact of IRC Section 280E. And we'll talk. We'll give you more uh, guidance on what that means as we get into the discussion here. Um, just a quick note at the very beginning here: we acknowledge that marijuana is a Schedule One controlled substance under the Controlled Substances Act of 1970. Any trader business activity related to this may be considered an illegal act of trafficking in controlled substances. Um, be that as, as it may, there's you know, obviously clearly a trend towards legalization in this area, and it is becoming more and more an impart, important issue for us to look at. All right, joining in today's conversation is Barry Wines, director in our firm's National Tax Group and a key resource for cannabis clients. Barry, how are you doing today? Doing fine. I'm here in Tampa, Florida. It's a little overcast, but it'll be sunny tomorrow. All right. And as always, Sarah McGregor. Hello again from Greenville, South Carolina. And uh, Barry, I think your table lightning just pulled one out at the last second last night. 3.8 seconds to be exact. (laughs) Yeah, very exciting, very exciting. And I'm Brooks Nelson, a partner in Richmond, Virginia. And it is hot and steamy here today, for sure, for sure. All right, Sarah, how's life treating you right now? Uh, it is It is good. You feel like you're on the cusp of the summer vacation period. Um, like you and up there in Richmond, down here in Greenville, uh, we're in the 90s today. So we went from you know, spring to August in uh, almost overnight. Um, but it's good. It's Friday afternoon. Uh, looking forward to taking both days off on the weekend. Right. Yeah. And we, it's that time of year where we actually can do that. Yeah. All right. So let's uh, jump into today's discussion. All right. A little background. In 1996, California was the first state to legalize medical use of marijuana. Close to 40 states have since followed. Uh, Washington and Colorado were the first states to legalize recreational use of marijuana. Uh, 16-ish states have followed since then and and or plus the District of Columbia. Um, there's been rapid growth in this industry. There's lots of activity in private equity. Uh, you see uh, IPOs connected with Canadian entities. Um, Anyway, it's got a lot of discussion, a lot of cash flow going along with it, and some very uh, interesting tax issues. Uh, Even the National Taxpayer Advocate blogged about tax rules for cannabis earlier this month. So, Sarah, uh, let's set the ground here, groundwork here. Uh, Give us definitions of cannabis and key points in this timeline and how all this relates to tax. Um, Sure, Brooks. It's, it's pretty interesting, uh, just so that we're talking about the same thing. Marijuana or is, is, comes from a cannabis plant that contains at least 0.3% or more of THC, and that is the Delta-9 tetrahydrocannabinol uh, compound. Uh, generally, it's going to be referred to in the industry as cannabis, 
they're just using that uh, marijuana carry some term carry some baggage with it and so i think the industry is moving towards using the all all of that high thc uh, uh product as cannabis the the other product that you hear a lot about is hemp and that too is the cannabis plant but it is contains uh less than 0.3 percent of thc and uh, this is regulated by the Department of Agriculture. It get, issues licenses through the states for farmers to grow hemp. And uh, hemp is the product or the plant that then CBD oils and, and CBD, that cannabidiol product, is extracted from. Uh, and that's been broadly used around the country. Some of the timeline to think about um, cannabis and hemp have been cultivated in human history for the last 10,000 years. Uh, in 1911, it was the the uh, recreational use of cannabis became prohibited in the in the United States. It was still available for medical use during that time, but then in 1970, you already referred to it. The uh, Controlled Substances Act of 1970 came through and put marijuana on uh, Schedule One, which then made it uh, an illegal uh, drug at that point. There was no medical use or uh, adult use or recreational use allowed from then forward. From a tax perspective, we pick up the story in uh, 1981 when the Edmondson v. Commissioner Tax court case was decided, and this was a drug trafficker who filed his taxes, reported his income, took his cost of goods sold, and deducted all of the expenses and to come down to net income. There was a big furor about that. Uh, why would this person be allowed to deduct business expenses against ill-gotten gains uh, and income? And so in 1982, Congress passed into law uh, and with the president's signature, Section 280E, which I think, uh, uh, Barry, you're going to talk about, but that, that really has put uh, a clamp down. And what didn't matter so much um, until 1996, as you said, when California became the first state to legalize or decriminalize medical use, and then now that we have recreational use or what is often referred to as adult use, um, it came in beginning in 2012 and forward. And finally, the Agricultural Improvement Act of 2018, that farm bill for for that year, descheduled the low THC uh, cannabis products. So that um, uh, hemp was descheduled and said that's not marijuana. It's not a Schedule One product anymore, and that's what made it available. Uh, and that started the real growth in the CBD and other products that come from that low THC uh, plant. Wow, you say all those words very well, Sarah. I have to say, they kind of roll off. I've had to practice a lot. <laughs> and don't all stop right. me in the middle of it or I'll never get to the end of the word. All right, got you. All right, so Barry, so we've talked about Section 280E. Uh, give us a little more uh, background on that um, and you know, its implications on the cannabis business. Right, so as everybody knows, you pay tax on your net taxable income which means you take the money you get in for selling the product, you subtract your cost, that's your taxable income, and you apply the tax on that. With 280E, which is the code section that, that we're dealing with here, it's very 
it's actually very simple. But what it basically does is disallow all of your deductions. So I'll talk about the language. It says no deduction or credit shall be allowed, which is very all encompassing. So if you think of R&D or things along those lines, growing new plants, new strains, all of those costs that could be a credit are going to be disallowed and your deductions. And it applies to any trade or business in which you are trafficking in a controlled substance, which is defined as schedule one or two drugs. Obviously, the cannabis is a schedule one drug, which is prohibited by by federal law or state law. Clearly, the states have decriminalized this, but because it is still a federal, um, illegal federally, this, the section applies. So the state says it's okay. The federal government is not enforcing the rules in those states, but because it's still illegal, it's still disallowed and those those deductions are there. It's very simple and very effective. Now, one of the things you have to understand is from the deduction perspective, cost of goods sold are not considered deductions. They are considered reductions in gross income. So it doesn't impact the cost of goods sold, which are governed under, four, under section 471 and the related regulations. Those we call our inventory rules. These rules apply to all companies, but they have special significance in the marijuana field or the cannabis area. All right, so Barry just said this is really simple, Sarah. So I want to hear your take on that. So which types of the businesses and uh, which segments of these businesses are most impacted by Section 280E? Because I've heard lots of variations, uh, you know, how you apply these in different ways in different places. Um, right. Well, so probably I think if you just think about the retail level, uh, for disbursements. So a company, a, a dispensary is taking in cash, handing over product to customers. Um, that's probably the area that is hardest hit by Section 280 because all that um, income that's going to be taxed would be the gross revenues received at the retail location, less cost of goods sold, and cost of goods sold is limited to the what the dispensary pays to acquire the product and the transportation to get it to the location. That's it. So rents, salaries, um, utilities, advertising, uh, insurance, all those other business expenses that are necessary and are incurred when somebody's running a retail location, none of that is deductible. Uh, the only thing that can be deducted from the sales income is the uh, amount that they paid to acquire the product they're selling plus any transportation costs to get it there. So I I think that means um, depending on your margins, you could be paying really twice as much tax as the retail store next to next door on the same uh, kinds of on the same level of sales if they're selling something that's not cannabis. But Sarah, um, I'm just going to throw a curveball all right i got my cannabis retail shop i got my gravy t-shirts i got my uh borderline legal equipment i've got maybe some cbd oil and hemp stuff i'm also selling there so mm -hmm. 
Um, is all this out the door, all my deductions? It depends uh, on the facts and circumstances. And there have been a couple of court cases that, uh, you know, Barry may bring up later in our conversation where it depends how much the business, trader business activities can be distinguished from each other. You can have the cannabis line of businesses and the non-cannabis businesses as long as they qualify each as an actual trader business. If one is incidental to the other, less than say 5% or 10%, then the court has actually ruled in that situation that no, there isn't two trades or businesses here. There is only one. So yeah, the t-shirts and other paraphernalia would get subject to the same limitations on the inability to deduct other expenses. So Barry, um, I've just talked about dispensaries. What about growers and producers? Sure. So you've talked about the inventory rules regarding sort of retailers. So the other side of that is manufacturers in in, in the cannabis industry. Those are going to be the growers and the producers because they get to use cost of goods sold and they're creating the product. They're going to generally be on an accrual method and what we call full absorption, which means their cost of goods sold is going to include all direct costs. And there's some indirect costs that have to be included and some indirect costs that may be included. And then there's some costs that aren't considered part of your production. So those cannot be included and those would be subject to 280E to be excluded. So, however, it's not a free-for-all. There are still limits there. So if we think about a grower or a processor, Raw materials and supplies, the seeds, the fertilizer, soil, water, those are direct costs. The indirect costs would be wages, rent, repairs, equipment that are utilized in growing the product or processing it. However, the other costs, obviously there's a lot of security surrounding these industries, that cost is not a production cost and subject to 280E. So indirect costs, like we talked about, equipment, maintenance, um, supervisor wages, quality control, things along those lines, you have to be careful with. Uh, depreciation of the, that type of stuff is a good example. You can take what they call up to gap depreciate, tax depreciation up to gap, but not in excess. So our normal plans of accelerating costs and things along those lines from a tax perspective do not really work in this industry. The real challenge here is we've talked about separate rules for dispensary and for a cultivator. In a lot of states, these companies are vertically integrated, meaning they do everything from start to finish. They grow, they process, and then they take it to the retail center. So the challenge is where does the growing processing stop and the retailing begin? If I'm only a retailer, as soon as the cannabis comes into my shop, none of the costs are, are, are deductible. If I am a grower processor and I do some of my, quote, processing at the shop, well, when does that stop and retail begin? So that's really where the challenge of trying to decide where that line is, is to be drawn. Not to mention, it's almost like a transfer pricing issue too. And you know, you got a little intercompany. What's the right value? Um, absolutely, correct. absolutely. Um, so beyond that, as a technical issue, let's talk about 
this other ugly little term, 263 cap A. So that's been floating around the tax world for 20, 30 some years. I can't even remember, but I mean, the gist of those rules are almost opposed, you know, they're, they're counter to what 280E says. They're trying to make you capitalize everything under the sun into your inventory. And it's kind of the bane of most manufacturers. You're normally trying to fight against 263A. So is that any kind of uh, solution to the 280E issue here, Barry? Well, the, the, the simple answer is no, they've thought of that. So the way the 263A has been interpreted by the courts is the only costs that co come under these unicap rules, which as Brooks talked about, are the other costs that sometimes have to be capitalized, is you are not allowed to capitalize anything under 263A that would otherwise be non-deductible. So because these costs would be non-deductible under 280E, they cannot be capitalized into um, your inventory and therefore sort of help you get those deductions indirectly. So while we hate Unicap in most situations, the, the cannabis industry would love to apply Unicap because it would help them out on the 280E, but that's not allowed. Well, that's kind of like heads, heads they win and tells you lose. They're, they're using 263A only to the degree that it hurts you still. Yeah. Yep. Definitely. But Barry, uh, taxpayers have been active in the courts trying to get relief from 280E and come up with some uh, ways to work around this or ways to say it's uh, uh, it's it's uh, not a it's not good law. Yeah, there have been numerous attacks because the tax rules are so onerous. They're going after anything they can think of. So the first argument is that it's unconstitutional that the way that that they're they're being taxed. Courts have said, not just in cannabis, but in a lot of different areas, deductions are a legislative grace, meaning that as long as there's a rational basis for this, they can disallow the deductions for this industry. So that is lost. They've gone to what Sarah talked about before is trying to create a combine a trade or business and and take the cost that way again the problem becomes is you have to have a separate and distinct trade or business um, and they haven't lost that they've lost that if they can't define it um, the other thing they've tried to do is they've tried to pay wages in s corps that hasn't worked a lot of cases there's they just don't keep good records because a lot of this is dealing in cash so that becomes problematic. The, the one other area that we haven't seen so much, and again, it's part of the record keeping, is these trade or business arguments. And, and a lot of times people will make the recommendation, well, if I set it up in a separate business, then I'll get the deductions over there. And the reality is, is, is the answer is no. 280E is going to apply if you're in that trade or business. You will not and you should not get a different answer if I have two separate companies doing the activity versus one. So if I have a non-controlled non substance business with a controlled substance, then those will be treated separately. If they're in two separate companies, the answer will be the same. If I'm trying to, to, to sort of divvy this up and argue that this isn't really controlled substance, they're going to push them back together and disallow it all. So 
splitting them up doesn't really make a lot of difference unless it helps you keep better records on it. And, and Barry, that could apply to where you're trying to say set up a management company would put all the employees in a separate company uh, to try to make that a trader business of its own in uh, management services. But if the only thing they're serving and working with is the cannabis business, then uh, the, the courts have put those two entities together, said, no, that's one trader business operating across two entities. Right. It, or the other way to look at it is that's fine. So your cannabis business is now paying those management fees to cover the costs in the other business. That should actually generate a profit over there. Great. But the deduction, the payment of the management fees in the cannabis business is not a deduction that's allowable. You haven't done anything. Right. So As a matter it, of fact, you made things worse. Yeah. It, it doesn't. Right. Because in theory, I should be having a, a profit over there. You can't create a business with all the expenses and none of the revenue. That just doesn't work. That's when they'll put it back together. And if you do have the revenue, then then you haven't solved your problem. All right, so Sarah, what else do you see going on in the cannabis industry that we should talk about? Well, despite the limitations and the onerous rules from a tax perspective, uh, there's a lot happening in the industry. You touched on it a moment ago, talking about uh, the, the private equity efforts. I think we're seeing a real trend where uh, the large multi-state operators or MSOs are going to be uh, the big giants in the industry, but that should still leave plenty of room for niche processors, uh, almost like the craft beer industry. You've got the big brewers, national distribution groups, and then you've got those uh, local craft breweries that work in different regions and have bring something special and new to the table. So there's room for everybody. We're also seeing uh, some, some specialization in different components of the industry, as well as the seed to sale vertical integrations. Um, so you, we see those that are investing in land and developing grow houses to rent to growers and cultivators, uh, rather than having the cultivators have to create and own all of that um, uh, real estate themselves. And those buildings, you have somebody else that's doing that as a niche uh, and providing that as a service. So we're seeing specialization labs and others that are that are popping up along along the way. Uh, we, I think we'll still see the t continued growth of those multi-state op multi-state operators. Um, social equity initiatives is another area that's really uh, important and grow has growing importance on the East Coast as laws and regulations are developed in states uh, allowing adult use of cannabis in particular. Um, uh, and that is trying to recognize that those communities who were economically damaged and hurt by the illegal trade, as well as um, uh, uh, policing and incarcerations of individuals, once once it suddenly becomes uh, decriminalized or legal, uh, the the states are saying, "Hey, we want to make sure those communities can benefit from this activity and this this legalization uh, or decriminalization of of this product and sales and services, as well as those as as, as everyone else." So there is uh, some element of that, but still, lots to pay attention to. States and municipalities have their own rules and regulations and we're still looking out there's a couple of opportunities um, in congress right now 
that maybe it will become uh, uh, descheduled, just like hemp products. Maybe we can get high THC descheduled at some point as well. All right. That was a lot to take in. Um, Barry, yes. any final thoughts on your end on tax rules and cannabis? No, it's just an area that, that because of the complexity of this rule that you have to be really aware of if you're going into that to understand that. And, and the reality, I think, is that until uh, Congress changes the rules and moves it off of uh, a controlled substance, it's going to be really hard to really generate a lot of profits in this area just because the tax burden is so high. Sarah, any concluding thoughts on your end? Uh, the only thing I would say is if for any tax professionals or those getting into this area, really understanding inventory rules is important and good record keeping is critical. Right. I will just add, um, kind of as they add on to what Barry said, there is a lot of cash being made in this business. And I think uh, you better be very careful with the application of these uh, tax rules and make sure uh, you don't find yourself in a really bad place. Uh, bad records and not paying attention to this very broad disallowance of tax deductions leaves a lot of room to get oneself into trouble. All righty. With that, we will conclude this podcast on the overview of tax rules and cannabis. Thank you for listening in. Quick disclaimer that we are not providing tax advice on this podcast. Please consult with your tax advisor, hopefully at Cherry Beckert, with your specific tax issues or to discuss information from today's podcast. Check out the firm's website at cbh.com for the latest guidance and materials on this and other tax and business topics. This concludes today's podcast. Uh, please like, share, and subscribe. Thank you, Barry, for joining us. Thank you, our listeners, for spending your time with us. We truly appreciate it. Let's call it a day and go forth in peace.